and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I am your host, Damian Ellinghouse, accompanied by good friend and lover of guest spots, Ryan Doyle. How are we, Ryan? How are you, sir? I'm doing good, but Ryan, you are not the only one on this call, are you? I'm not. No, you're not. You're not alone. Isn't that shocking? That's right. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest with us today. He has been a stalwart of the Long Island music scene since 2009, having shared the stage with bands like Such Gold, Turnover, The Swellers, and many more. With his band Career Day recently releasing a three-song EP in January of this year named Pride Was Somewhere Else. He is also one of the most active social justice reform activists I know, having spent the majority of Trump's administration working for the Nassau chapter of the NYCLU, helping to organize demonstrations and responding to civil rights violations throughout the area, as well as championing championing awareness on the situation in the Philippines under the Duterte regime. I hope I said that right. I don't think I did. As a Filipino-American... Social and criminal justice reform and general all around good dude. He is Jade Lalitri of Oso Oso's arch nemesis, co-host of Through the Island podcast, Islanders super fan, lover of absurdist comedy, Josh Bailey's best friend and giant wrestling mark, the ultimate social justice warrior himself, Desmond Zantua. Desmond, how are you? Uh, wow. That was a great, that was a great intro. Uh, Thank you. I, uh, I definitely won't live up to it, but, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm medium. Uh, I'm doing mediumly. Uh, had uh, it's been a bit of a a, a long day of uh, looking at the same two or three Excel spreadsheets um, yep. for my for my Clark Kent uh, job. Um, but now you know the cape's on. You know, right now, basically. Um, but but no, I'm I'm uh, I am okay. I, I uh, skated around the the playground that I live ac- across from. Uh, attempting to play a little bit of hockey and do uh, something other than wallow into the abyss that I was kind of dwelling on today. Um, so, you know, standard Monday, I would right. say. Yeah. Standard Respect. Monday. Yep. Respect. That's great. Um, so we have a very fun episode today. So we're going to give Desmond his his shine, if you will. Give him the rub. Uh, maybe a rub down. We'll see what happens. And then... We're going to talk about the most wonderful time of the year, Royal Rumble, baby. That's right. The Doyle Rumble coming up in, this is Monday, Sunday, January 31st. Now, I can't fucking wait. I just want to predicate, just in case this Ranger fan sends some quips your way, I got your back, buddy. Don't worry. Let's go, baby. You're such sensitive folk. I'll have you know that I haven't even like watched hockey in like two, three years, so I'm the last one to be talking shit. Um... I did try to do a little bit of digging on the Islanders to see if there was anybody on the roster that was as shit as uh, Tony D'Angelo because I really didn't appreciate putting all of the other Rangers fans down for his presence on the team. Although I think you guys were fair. You guys were fair. You give a fair take. But uh, I feel you. You know, we've we've had some uh, we've had some uh, goons on the squad, but, you know, it's like nobody's. Don't be loud. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> don't be loud. That's don't the be thing. fucking loud. He's too loud. Realistically, realistically, most of the NHL, uh, they are either uh, European. Like, you you have a bunch of uh, European players that probably are just confused by our entire 
country's existence and and general discourse. Then you have like Canadian players that that will you know get involved in or pay attention a bit to politics because they have to play in the country for at least half the year. But then you do have like I would say uh, most most like professional hockey players do the whole uh, fiscally conservative yeah. and socially uh, try not trying to not be publicly racist. Um, yeah. Like that's what most hockey players are. Tony D'Angelo just happens to be like I think legitimately, uh, like QAnon brains. Like I think he yeah. he legitimately is this. Like, did you see all the speculation about his potential burner account? This, oh yes. This, uh, <laughs> did you know that saying the word Guido <laughs> is racist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, I don't e- <laughs> it's one of those things I can't tell. Like it, it, it cuts both ways. Where it either is like a decently tuned like parody uh, to make it seem like it is a burner account, or Tony D'Angelo actually is this burner account, and it like has no context, like concept of like how obvious it is that it's him. It's he. He kind of is that much of a marvelous spectacle of the worst of hockey culture. Yeah, I I think that's definitely fair. And I was like, well, I I have to be able to pull up something on like Cal Clutterbuck, right? There's no way he doesn't, but no, I I couldn't find uh, the Islanders really try to keep their social media squeaky clean. Um, Maybe they did a little bit of a purge after, well, you know what? I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I got, I got questions about this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I got questions. So it is customary here on FFC that we talk about what we're drinking. Desmond, do you have a beverage tonight? It's okay if you don't. Uh, uh, I <laughs> hold on. I almost pulled. Oh, it's over on this side of the bit. Uh, I I'm, I uh, I just have a uh, Trader Joe's sparkling raspberry lime flavored water. Okay. Uh, I had to go a little soft. I went a little too hard over the weekend and and woke up on the well was. Uh, uh, my my girlfriend uh, woke me up off of the living room floor, which I uh, passed out on because my boots were too hard to take off. Excellent. Um, so that's where I'm at. Okay, that's fair. Where was it canned? What what I drank? No, no, no. What you're drinking right now? Where was that canned? Give me the details. Uh, let me see. Uh, Distributed and sold exclusively by Trader Joe's. I'm not. I'm not seeing any other. Uh, it. It's Best Buy. Uh, uh, something of 2021. But mm. I, I don't have. Th- that's as much detail as I can provide at the moment. If I. Uh, if I find out where this particular can was canned, I'll let you know. Yeah, just interrupt whatever it is I'm saying. That's a little sketchy on Trader Joe's part. Uh, but, Trader okay. Joe's nope. secret headquarters. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll move on, I guess. Well, Ryan, what do Mon- you have? Monrovia, today? Monrovia, California, I see here. Ah. Maybe, maybe that's where. Okay, good, good. I can, that's that's good. I'll, I'll make sure to put that in there. All right, Ryan, what do you got today? Well, my beverage is locally sourced this evening from our good friends at Great South Bay. Ooh. Right here on Long Island, New York. Cheap pop, baby. And I got the Red Rum. The Rum Punch inspired, sour aged in rum barrels. Mm. And uh, as you guys can see here, it's clearly inspired by the legendary movie The Shining, 
You're not holding the, it at the camera. You held uh, it off camera, oops. so I, I can't see it. There we go. So yeah, so you got the... Uh, uh, it's the, the wallpaper. There you go. The infamous design from the movie of the wallpaper and rug. And yeah, it's a sour guy. Uh, I am not... I've, I've been coming around to sours. I've been coming around to sours. I think the first one I ever had like tasted like a shoe and it turned me off, but... Uh, can't go wrong with this one. It's a sour ale brew with pineapple, orange, lemon, lime, cherry. And we got some, uh, Vic secret hops and it's a 6.66 baby. So I feel like that's surprisingly weak for a a barrel age. That's interesting. Um, I'm also rocking local here today. I got campfire amplifier. That's a dogfish head selection. Uh, it's not telling me what it is. It's a s'more. Oh, there you go. It's a milk stout brewed with graham crackers, cinnamon, marshmallow, and cocoa powder and vanilla beans. So I'm just, I'm getting real cozy tonight. Feel nice. me? Nice. Uh, I feel you. And that's an 8.5% guy. So we will all open, or if it is already open, we will pretend to clink and sip. So there you just, there we go. Hey. The, yeah, the yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The... Hit okay. whichever, whichever. That's fine. I salute. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, this is a zero point uh, zero. Um, yeah, yeah. Teetotaling tonight. <laughs> he wants to make. Sure I, gu- I guess. I guess. Face. Although you know, the the beer that that put me on my ass over the weekend was uh, the Montauk Cold uh, Day IPA. Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. So I, I want to. You know, if you want to support local and you know, drink away uh, some uh, pain. Uh, Montauk cold uh, cold day IPA. That's what they make them for, actually. See, look at us. We're all being responsible. We're drinking local. We're we're buying local. It's it's great stuff. All right, so I'll get straight on into it. So first of all, obviously, congratulations on the new release. Uh, it's really nice to see you back behind the stick again. It's been a little bit now. This one was recorded at Redbird Studios and Blue Table. Uh, post before being mixed and mastered by Billy Menino at Two Worlds Recording Studio, who is pretty well known for working on several of Oso Oso's albums and, you know, touring with them a bit. Now, given that Jaden, you have one of the longest and bloodiest feuds in the history of Long Island music, was there any mental preparation you needed to put yourself through to prevent the tables being brought out? Well, you know, I, uh, hmm. I kind of, I kind of don't don't think about uh, you know chumps like that you know like I like I I kind of forget about Jade um, most of the time I, I I find that I function best as a human being mm-hmm. when I I forget um, that that Jade Lalitri was ever born into this world um, but uh, no I um, I guess uh, I, I I do have a begrudging respect for. Uh, well, I respect Billy so much that I was willing, you know, to, to, to forgive him for working with Jade. That's how much I, I respect, um, Billy, but, but, uh, I mean, it was, it was great. We, we sent him some of our, like, uh, our kind of initial mixes and he, he was originally just going to master, um, the EP, um, and, uh, Billy, Billy really is, is, uh, he's a real one. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's <laughs> he's great. A real one. He's a real one. I mean, like, cause he was just gonna, you know, he was just gonna master, but he, he was like, Hey, I, I, 
I have some ideas. Like I've just been listening to these songs over and over and like, I really have some ideas. Would it be cool if I took a crack at, at mastering, at, at mixing? And uh, like, I was like, sure. I mean, go for Like, please go for it. That would be awesome. And like, what, with what he did, like, it was interesting. The, like, the, the magic of, I don't know. It, it was a great, it was a great, uh, great tag team, I guess you'd say. Because uh, there were things that were in the songs that, that we knew that we tracked in there but hadn't heard in the mixing that we had had up to that point and uh and he really really fleshed it out and it was just like hearing the songs uh the way the way he mixed them was just kind of like that that aha feeling of like oh this is the thing that i you know thought we were making you know i don't know it's uh hard to convey concisely because I uh, am talking about something I care about in a day that was very much not <laughs> that, <laughs> but, but now, now that was, uh, that was kind of the way that went down with, uh, with Billy who happened to, I guess, you know, work with Jade. Right. I can't hold that against him. Is this feud between you and Jade uh, more adversarial? Like, Axel Rose and Kurt Cobain, or is it more like blood feud hatred between, uh, like the Oasis brothers? I'm trying to think of a wrestling, a wrestling comparison. Okay. So is it more like, is it more like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man or is it more like Bret Hart and, uh, Shawn Michaels? I feel like, yeah, I feel like this is like Bret and Shawn. There's no, there's no love lost there. I yeah you know what uh, it's definitely Brett but I don't know I guess is he I guess he's strong but I'm the sexy boy you know uh-huh. did yeah. you but did I'm you all, lose your but smile? I also feel like I'm a more uh, I also feel like I'm a more uh, miserable uh, uh, fuck the way like I'm more of a sad sack <laughs> so you're just like Brett Hart <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to say. Um, but, but yeah, I would say it's, it's definitely, um, it's a, it's a Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart type thing where I, but I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make him the sexy boy because I, I am the sexy boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, that's important. That's an important distinction to make. I get that. Um, well, you know, it's, it's good to know that much like Brett and Sean these days, you know, you guys are able to, you know, keep it, keep it civil in the respect that it doesn't spill out into the world very often. Right. That's, that's got to stand for something. Well, you know, we're able to do the, uh, you know, on the, uh, the, on the, the punk scene, uh, network for nine ninety nine. you know, you'll have the documentary of, of, you know, me and Jade talking again for the first time <laughs> in, in 25 years since the, uh, I don't know, since since the, the dogwood uh, screw job of Franklin Square. Uh, <laughs> the the basement show screw job. Uh but but uh you know, I'm I'm willing to go into the business with him. Okay, that's good. Yeah, and we, we can have uh we can have Johnny Wims there as a mediator. Uh for the, we'll, for the we'll greater good the of the JR. business. Um now, as I mentioned, your time in the scene spans over a decade, six releases, hundreds of shows between Bellwether and Career Day. Now, while there was a period of inactivity following your departure from Bellwether, you did stay busy in music in a way. You know, you worked as a security guard for music festivals. You were an assistant publicist for music publicity company Raby Inc. And you were even a one-time backup vocalist for Newfound Glory. 
Um, now, have you noticed any major changes in the culture of the scene from like your first period of activity to now? And how do you feel that your time at Raby helped shape your impression of the industry as a whole? So I would say the scene, the first part, the scene, I think, has become way more intense. It's taken great strides to be, uh, I would say, the, the mainstream, like on average, the scene has moved to a place that is more intentional about uh, social and political causes um, and just in general uh, advocacy. Um, in particular, I think it's, it's, uh, done a great job with amplifying, uh, uh, female and, and non-male, um, causes, uh, and, and representation as well as LGBT, um, plus causes and rep- representation. Uh, I, I think there's still, and I, 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 I say mainstreaming because like I, I, I think about this sometimes uh, that like Mike Park has been doing Asian man records for like how long, you know, like there have been people involved in punk that never stopped being about, uh, you know, being about causes in the world beyond, you know, our Mm -hmm. PBR sponsored fests, you know? Right. (laughs) And, uh, but I, I think on, it seems like it's become, a bit more uh, mainstream, which I think is important. Uh, I do think that there's strides to be made uh, when it comes to racial justice, um, and and uh, that that's the type of thing with any sort of subculture. I'm sure we'll get into issues in like the wrestling bubble, yeah. but any any subculture or section of society <clears throat> will have the same issue. Like we'll have the issues that society as a whole has you just because you create this smaller world that that you try to ascribe cultural values to doesn't mean that it won't um falter in that regard and and sometimes the the solutions that you try to make in in those sub like sections are larger than you could just solve within your show like for example uh you know the majority of shows i've played um and you know for the most part i've everything I've done has pretty much been in some spectrum of emo and or pop punk revival, whatever fucking wave. I probably lived through like two different waves at this point, which is kind of depressing. I, in a lot of cases, I was the only non-white person that would be on the stage in, in a lot of the shows that I played. And there, there wasn't, because of that, Talking about that was something that like did not seem as plausible with, you know, my, my peers, but I think that just, you know, how much of that is a factor of like, like the only funding for arts, uh, and uh, like arts in education where, where, where kids can get into like good music programs when they're in elementary school are like predominantly white neighborhoods, you know? Yeah. And like that's uh, that's something that go that gets into school funding, which gets into school board like politics, which are very big, but that's that's not something that is easy to organize in uh, while you know uh, your guitarist is tuning for a minute, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like to say between you know so um, yeah. 
it, that's all to say that that it's made it's made great strides. I think there's strides to come. I think there are issues when uh, you know when you try to mainstream sh- uh, like advocacy causes, you run into issues of like it just being able to be performative, which plenty of people do. But I do think it's a net positive uh, overall by more people seeing it because once people are familiar with seeing it, even if there are people that co-opt it, you have the ability to really sit with them, sit with the people that, that are, are new to certain, you know, modes of thinking, and you're able to actually kind of help shepherd them in ideally, um, and get them involved in, in the, in the nooks and, and crannies of, uh, in the weeds, so to speak of politics. Yeah. Now, no, no, I just wanted to that- interject real quick because I, I completely agree with your points because, uh, in terms of the scene, you know, Growing up on Long Island, uh, I first came up through the metal scene and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they took on anybody for the most part. This is before like, you know, politics was really strewn into our daily conversation. So we didn't really have an opinion on anything, but like, you know, before it was cool. Yeah. Before it was cool. Uh, you know, but like, even if like it, most of the outcasts, like, you know, once you went to a concert and you saw other people like, you know, from your high school or your community there, they're like, oh shit, like you're cool enough to do this. Like, okay, come on in. Uh, my experiences with the hardcore, uh, scene growing up on Long Island, it was very clicky. Uh, I'm sure you guys have experienced that to no end, but like, you know, as the years went on, the hardcore community became like so much more inclusive and, you know, <clears throat> it's good to see because that's the main ethos of everything in, in terms of, you know, that genre and punk rock in general. You know, I'm sure you guys saw the meme of the kid or whoever the fuck it was at some protest over the summer uh, wearing like, you know, punk patches like the exploited and shit like on his vest and like no effects. And then he has like, you know, the Blue Lives Matter flag under it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot of like cognitive dissonance in this shit. And it's a lot of like the right feeling like we're the real punk rockers now that's that's us yeah it's like ted cruz is truly punk rock because he's speaking out against the system (laughs) um and i i'm sure that uh you know without naming names uh there were definitely a few actors on long island in the scene uh when we were you know younger that definitely didn't make it that easy to break in if you weren't like cool with the right people and I have a feeling Desmond probably knows some of the people that I'm thinking of here. Uh, but yeah, I think that's definitely a, a good point. And, um, you know, it's uh, I, I agree with you as well. I do feel that as a whole and it also has to do with like as the generations skew younger. I just really find that like the the new generations really like they give a shit about this shit when they're 13, 14 years old, which I think is great because for a long time, I've been sick of hearing the whole idea like, oh, keep keep punk out of politics or keep politics out of punk, keep it out of metal. Like how do, you, politics is your life. And literally these are subgenres based in anti-authoritarianism and like based in rebellion. How do you just remove the, pol- what are you fucking rebelling against? Like not wanting fucking low fat milk. What, what the fuck are you supposed to rebel against otherwise? Yeah. It's like, I, I, I find that the whole, like keep politics out of this thing. Whenever people say that, I, I find that like, what they're saying is, please don't make me think about something. Like, please, yeah. I don't want to learn. I don't want to learn about anything new. Like, and, and to me, it's uh, to your like to to Doyle's point earlier. 
you, you said that like before politics were part of our everyday. And I think like growing up on Long Island myself, it's that like the, as you get older, and I think, you know, one of the things that I hope becomes a net positive after the past four years uh, is, is that people kind of have reconciled with like the, the idea that um, polit- like the idea of like, you know, politics not being an everyday thing, like, well, politics is everything. It's just that yeah, you just you didn't have to think about it. And like, in a, if anything, like, a, a, like especially us, like growing up in the suburbs, like life was seemingly geared towards like doing everything like it could to make us not think about the big, the bigger picture or connecting the dots of anything and seeing like why things were the way they were. Everything was just pa- like packaged to us as well, it is what it is, or you can't do anything about it, or uh, these people did this to themselves, like have this plight because they did this to themselves type mm-hmm. of type of thing. And it's, uh, I, I think like it's, uh, I and, and I kind of think what's nice when, when I guess maybe we're, like we're living through a time of great, like we talk about all the talk of, you know, how, Oh, I wish we weren't so divided. I wish we need more unity. No, I think we need to actually have these fucking arguments like right now. Like we need to have this type of conflict about like, well, what do you mean about this? What What do you mean when you're saying this? Why Why do you believe the things that you believe? Because like one of the things that's been great to me is like, I love when I, when someone comes at me thinking that like, I'm just some, you know, oh, you get all your talking points from the liberal media or, or yeah, which is like every news source. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you know, explain what, like, you know, why you think, Oh, like, Oh, you think uh, January 6th was bad. Well, how can you reconcile, you know, having your opinions about defund the police? And it's like, Oh, okay. Here's why. Like we, all this funding was given to the police. They let, uh, in some cases, let them in and let them in and were part of that. Yeah, uh, and then others were just ineffective about it, and it's like ineffective in their response to it, and also enough people were willing to like massacre their own lives, like to fly to D.C. for what, like you know, in this in the, like the biggest like anarchy, anarchy. I don't know what it means, but I love it. Type of like <laughs> you know uh, approach to to politics, like the fact the fact that we don't have that much money in education around the country for those people to not have believed the weirdest political fanfic of all time. Yeah. I mean like the immediate argument after the Capitol riots were like, well, the shit went on like completely over the summer. And like, you know, if you guys had the opportunity to storm the Capitol, you would too. And I was like, no, but you got to look at the difference between fighting for something versus simping for Donald Trump. Simping for daddy. That's, that's what this is. One is is fighting systemic injustice. And I it's can so understand. Yeah, I can understand the merits of not agreeing, you know, with the protest over the summer. Uh, you're completely wrong in my opinion, but at the same time, it's just like you got to look at the the core issues of things too. And you know, like, you know, when people feel attacked for being conservative, it's like, all right, what are we talking about? Are we talking about less regulation? Are we talking about less taxes? Or are we talking about the other things that come with those two key points of conservatism, which is like, you know racism and fascism and like you know just being totally totally you know exclusionatory to just vast portions of society like you have to deal with that 
Yeah. And and like before we move on and like because I, I have something about this later on as well. You can even tie it to wrestling with like the way that uh, politics is treated because wrestling seems to be in one of these weird bubbles where like you really aren't allowed to talk about politics with wrestling because it's it don't fuck with my weird fake fantasy. But like politics <laughs> has been a part of wrestling specifically for as long as wrestling has been fucking yeah, that, popular. That's so true. Um, no, for, for sure. and, and I feel like now we're at a place where like we can have discussions about that and like, you know, some of the gimmicks, maybe uh, we don't need to do these types of gimmicks. And, you know, I, I find that a lot of the again, the younger generations of wrestlers are very open to talking about this shit, not just making that part of their gimmick, but like. Like, look at Jay White as a great example. Jay White, mega heel of New Japan Pro Wrestling, biggest scumbag in the fucking world if you're following kayfabe. He's out here selling Bullet Club Black Lives Matter merch and, like, donating all of that shit to charity and putting it on his in kayfabe Twitter. And, like, there's no disconnect there. You know, it, it's I, I I really appreciate shit like that. Um, But we, we'll get back to this in a second. Um, To pivot away for for a quick minute... Your podcast through the island describes itself as an Islanders and hockey culture podcast and was described by you as a reboot of a previous podcast attempt some years ago. Now, being that your co-host, Mike Monaco, is the guitar player for the Long Island prog metal band Cryptodira, who themselves recently released their new album, The Angel of History, to widespread acclaim. Tell me about how you guys met and what spurred you on to give this another go. And, you know, what would you like to see it accomplish, like beyond just two guys talking about a shared interest? So I, I linked up through, um, I linked up with Mike just because I knew like of Crypto Dira, uh, you know, popping off and I, of the, of Mike and Scott being huge Islander fans and like I, going into the, uh, 2018, 19 season. So the first post Tavares season, which we all thought was just going to be like, rough like the we we started the old podcast which was called dynasty dodgers because we all were like we had a group chat like thread that was like scott uh or like just from interacting on twitter with like scott mike uh christian beal uh and pete judge we all just like um kind of started like a, a like a facebook group chat like hey let's maybe try a podcast because like this like the anticipation was like the the first year of the barry trots era was gonna suck and it was like the best way to do that would be to like have a podcast to document what we thought was going to be a shitty year ended up being the best season they they ever like the best regular season they ever had in my lifetime but um it was uh it was kind of hard to do just because at the time i was so I was working, uh, I wasn't, wor- I, I was working Nightclue at the time I was working. So I was working with the civil liberties union and I was working, uh, like event security and I was working, uh, for like driving for Lyft as well. So like my schedule was like super fucked a lot of the time. And that was when touring was a thing. So crypto Dira would be away or Beal would be doing a bunch of gigs uh, either TM, either, either, uh, road dog in it or, or actually touring. Um, and like, it just, it was too hard to make all the, all the pieces fit. But with 
with COVID, keeping bands off of the road and with kind of just personally wanting to have a lot of projects this year. I've had a lot of different ideas for a while. Um, this is one that I wanted to do just, if anything, now the Islanders have been good and it's like, maybe something good happens in the next year or two. Um, and also the idea of doing a podcast that's not just like every Islander podcast all says the same fucking things. Most of them, uh, really simp for, uh, for Lou Lamorello and his, <laughs> his like, his like, it's so cool how, he, how he has rules that all the players need to follow to a T that's cause you know, the most fun part of, of leisure is, uh, the rules. Like that's the most fun yeah, of, of entertainment. Rules. That's my favorite thing. Like before I watch a movie, I say like, okay, before this starts, can everyone tell me what the rules of this thing are so that I know what they are? Oh um, yeah. I mean, for me, my favorite part is, uh, is when I sit down to watch a wrestling event is when they tell me what the match is going to be about. I'm like, yeah, see like the table, that's how the table match works. And then like, I just turn off the rest cause I already got what I got out of it. My rocks are off. Yeah. Yeah, or being yeah. told who's who's coming out at at this current time, as if oh you yeah, don't that's know. it. That's it's it. Like, that's oh, all I need. The wrestler but, who is in the Mandalorian. Oh, it's boss time. This is Sasha Banks. You don't know who she is? Well, let me uh, tell you, Ben. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, we can go now. But but, <laughs> but I um yeah I, I'm not I I kind of wanted to do something a little bit like something a little bit offbeat, something a little bit um that is not going to care about being professional and or trying to make friends with the, the, uh, this it's kind of the wrong shell, but I, I'm not going to go out of my way to follow every single Islander fan whose in, entirety of their non Isles Twitter profile is just like QAnon shit oh, or God. just like, <laughs> ra- like racism. Just like, I, I'm trying to do a bit of a, a podcast that will touch on the cultural issues, uh, you know, dive into the team, kind of touch on shit around the league, and um, maybe also not take itself so seriously. I'm not giving anything away, but we're definitely trying to think about certain adult swim type of uh, elements that we can add to it. Some, oh. some Eric Andre type elements that we can add to it to just make it fun because the Islanders are an obscenely boring team and the, and the idea of just talking straight Islanders talk, um, for like an hour and a half, uh, and then uh, every other week being the one that has to edit it, like is miserable if, if it's just going to be straight talk, if, if it's something where, where we can do things that, that, uh, maybe only we find entertaining there's this kind of something there's kind of this this like morbid uh joy to it but i I would like for that to maybe pop into some form of like thing where i can if i can make uh you know uh, a bodega or sandwich uh income per month out of it that'd be kind of nice yeah that's really great that's kind of like the ethos that you know me and damien have with this podcast like there's plenty of podcasts out there where they just review Raw and SmackDown and NXT and the pay-per-views. And it's just like, it's monotonous. And there's, there's plenty of good podcasts where people have the, uh, the ethic to do that and do a very good job at it. But like, it's a very boring time for wrestling. And like, you know, yeah. 
pandemic aside, I mean, it's going to be hard to flesh out three hours of Raw when me and Damien ourselves don't care. But, you know, (laughs) skewing back a little bit to the Islanders, because, of course, we got to talk shop here, bud. uh, You know, being an Islander fan, you expect everything and expect nothing at the same time. And there's definitely a schism in between the Islanders community of like the older crowd who saw the dynasty and yeah, it was the best time ever, but we, you know, had to grow up with, you know, empty Coliseum games and, you know, oh yeah, you know, uh, getting Loudville tickets for $10 where like that was the only pack pack section in the entire house. Uh, are you familiar with the saga of uh, the yes you uh, the yes yeah sorry the yes UV account? Oh oh yes uh, yeah the yes UV's descent into QAnon yeah uh, QAnonism was like amazing because apparently so apparently that dude uh, has tweeted like some s- sketchy uh, vague vaguely maybe not so vaguely racial things in the past like when the islanders were like were at barclays and i think while they were there uh i, I believe like like a, a biggie smalls banner went up maybe or jay a jay-z banner went up i, I forgot yeah. which one of the, one of those two rappers had had a, had a banner go up and went on some rant about i don't know Whenever, whenever, especially in retrospect, after seeing what he posted with QAnon, it's like, I feel like he, 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 it wasn't just that he didn't like that specific rapper. I feel like there was a, a bit more to, to, to that, uh, <laughs> that energy, but, but Q, like yet the SUV went full QAnon, I think maybe two weeks into the NHL season being shut down. Yeah. Like, like. You took hockey away from that dude for two weeks. And <laughs> that's what it devolved into. And that's what, that's like, hockey was like the one thing keeping Keeping all his of glue that. together, yeah. Damien, are you familiar with this? Because I feel like, uh, I, I'm sure. No, th- this, this oh, is okay. going right over my head, but I love the idea of some dude screaming into the void, Cuomo, this is what you've yeah, done to me. Uh, now I use the N-word. It, it's really great. <laughs> let, me, let me provide some context. So this guy was just like a regular Islanders fan on Twitter. Uh, when the Islanders moved into Barclays, you know, we had to get what we got in that situation. But, you know, the setup of the arena was just terrible. But at the end, yeah. lower end portion of the corner was a white Honda. And oh, it became yeah. Yeah, honky. It became, right, a meme, right. it became a meme against the Islanders community. So what this guy did, I'm assuming, is that he morphed into like the unofficial Twitter account of hockey. Of, uh, right. Honky. Yeah. Okay. This does kind of sound familiar to me now. And, you know, 99% of the tweets are about the Islanders and like, you know, just generally harmless things amongst the hockey community. <laughs> but then but, it started getting sprinkled in a little bit. Yeah. As, as Deadman as alluded to, like... <laughs> As the pandemic, like just immediately QAnon shit came out and where we go and we'll go all. And it was just like, whoa, dude, first <laughs> off, you're standing for like a portion of like Islander fans that resent very much and like very much. So it's like, no, 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 we're not going to have this. And like he was just immediately shut down. But yeah, like, you know, maybe the signs were there before when he was talking about, you know, Biggie <laughs> or Jay-Z when he was mainly speaking about like, you know, his... uh 
his his, his gripes his, with a, a community at large as opposed to one person pretty much you know I, I i'm not trying to talk shit but doesn't this a little bit feel like the correct thing for a long island based team to do though it feels like a good snapshot of of probably what a fair bit of the fan base we have, are we have demons there's definitely demons to face um, um like especially i feel amongst the long island community any like sports centric team it's a little yeah. different with the city and it's a little different with uh with ranger fans i feel because they have a more um you know they've been around for like almost 100 years at this point so there's definitely like a more like traditional like proper uh fan base you know mainly focused on <laughs> wearing bow ties we that's what we do we wear suits and bow ties and we sit yeah. around drinking tea Brooks- unlike you uncivilized QAnon assholes that's what this <laughs> our, is our sanitation worker fan base pretty much like, you know what i mean <laughs> it, and and you, like it, it was it was like the the typical like QAnon thing because like he would post i because I, I think the first thing he posted was like implying that like one of the like didn't they like bring like naval ships in to have like temporary like covid like, yeah yeah uh, like yeah i th- i think the way like that twitter account like signified that it was QAnon was it like tweeted about that <laughs> and like like did some of like the abbreviation shit with it and like like appar- i guess at one point there was like a QAnon theory that those ships were going to be like naval seals that were gonna take uh that were gonna arrest the clintons arrest clintons yeah, yeah, and yeah. arrest cuomo's dude they've been promising that for the last four years and then it, it kept it kept <laughs> what like then that didn't happen it just was actually the thing that it was it was the it was the beds because of this pandemic that you're living through yeah um it actually had to do with that not the thing actually dude it wasn't the thing that you're talking about that isn't true and is based on nothing it's actually the the actual thing that's happening in reality. Sorry, you got that mixed up. But like never like never like never thought about it, never talked about it, never did anything. It was on to the next thing. And then like with the election, oh I guarantee on this date this is gonna happen. Yeah. Biden's never gonna be sworn in. It's never it's never like just kept going with it. It was like it really was a a, a descent. You know, a descent, a fall from grace, and if your grace period was a period where you were uh, an adult man, probably in your mid forties, uh, out, out in like uh, Setauket, um, where like your two things are like Setauket Patriots Facebook page and Islanders hockey, and you yeah. took away the Islanders hockey, and all that was left was the Setauket uh, Patriots. <laughs> yeah. And of course, my favorite time of the year when the Islanders decide to use the Rainbow Pride logo, you see all, <laughs> all um, and it, the people coming out for that one. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is actually a perfect segue into my next question, right? Because you mentioned on the podcast recently that a big reason that the NHL feels so insulated from having to answer questions about politics, social justice or current affairs is its position as a you know somewhat rich, predominantly white sport where they're allowed to have the privilege to ignore the realities of the world around them. And this is especially relevant as the Islanders build a $1.5 billion stadium in a predominantly black neighborhood and plan to, you know, raise luxury condos around the area, but only promising 30% of the permanent jobs to residents of the area and only 36% of the construction going to female, minority, and veteran-owned services. Uh, while putting out the type of tepid, tone-deaf response to the George Floyd protest that they did. So my question is, 
as a non-white hockey fan, you know, actively involved in social justice reform yourself, but as somebody that like genuinely loves the sport and loves the team, what do you think, if anything, the NHL would need to do to reform its image with fans like yourself? And do you feel that like sports organizations at large, you know, like the WWE as well, have an obligation to take more accountability for their communities? So I guess as a, as a fan, but the things that I'd like to see from the NHL, are, it's, are the things that they would have to do They're, They, it's hard to say because the stance, like the hockey diversity Alliance is great because it's independent of the NHL, like the NHL proper. Uh, so it's asks, it functions as an advocacy group. And, and because of that, it's not tied to uh, the company. It's, it's just like a non, like a nonprofit that is a nonpartisan and like has very like, and if you follow their trail is not really like in bed with any political party. Like those are the, those are the things to go with rather than the political party. Even if the political party has, you know, all these, these resources and, and kind of is the functional thing, quote unquote, to, to, to change things. Um, like the HDA was supposed to be the driver of that change and the, 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 its relationship with the NHL has completely dissolved in, in like, and it dissolved almost, it was on Rocky roads from its, from its like inception because the NHL has its company line of, I'm not sure if you read the recent sports illustrated, um, profile piece about, about how the, the fallout went 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 about but like when the hda formed and they had one of their like meetings with bettman and and some of the other i guess board members like a lot of the the black like a lot of the black players in the hda like talked about specific events of racism like that they experienced in nhl arenas and 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 feeling that that bettman and the nhl did not do enough to use those moments uh, to be more intentional about its uh, position on racial justice. And Bettman's response uh, was uh, alleg- allegedly, was he saw he got uh, ultra defensive and talked about like the, the money or the, the causes they're involved in and said to them, what have you done for these causes in, mm-hmm. in, in your, like, what have you actually done? Basically right. like implying that, that he has done more than they'll ever do. And that, that, he, that like, who are you to tell me that you need more that, or that you feel that I failed, you know, that I failed you. And like, all that's to say, like, you know, I think what it, what it needs to do is to actually follow a lot of the HDA's, uh, lead, it's asking for a lot of funding for programs and a changing of, of how the NHL does its business, like committing to uh, like anti-racist causes and not committing money towards causes or, or organizations that are involved in systemic races, uh, racism. And that, you know, the way it's drawn up is a little bit vague and open-ended, but that would directly call into question how the NHL always has their what essentially amount, what they call like law enforcement appreciation night, which just ends up being Blue Lives Matter night. Like it always ends yeah. up being the math, yeah, a particularly MAGA night. Like the NHL needs to be open to 
having those ugly conversations because for the NHL, it's like, well, do we really want to deal with that? And and the season ticket holder blowback. And it's like, well, damn, if you don't want to deal with that, then, then there's no way for you to actually be involved in these causes beyond some sort of like, uh, just board, uh, uh, executive board approved, you know, uh, capital, capital one doing their black lives matter, you know, poster or, uh, you know, um, a discover card doing their pride, you know, like, no, the, yeah. The FBI doing an MLK poster, something oh. like that, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> oh you my know. God. Uh, you know, it's, there's definitely a lot of empty platitudes on that side. And it's like, you know, from somebody who's not in tune with politics, where they're just like, you know, for example, the Pride logo. It's like, well, why do we have to shove this in people's faces? Well, you know, I mean, like, you wouldn't have to do the empty platitudes if you changed the culture among you and you made somebody who, you know, if, if this guy who's 13 it could be sick at hockey, could be, you know, the next McKinnon or McDavid, and he's, he's gay. And, you know, he, he doesn't feel that he could pursue his talent because he's not going to be accepted, you know, amongst the culture. You know, someone who wants to listen to rap music in their hockey room, they don't have to fear their coach coming in here and screaming at them and smashing their fucking boombox. You know, I'm, I'm dating myself because nobody probably listens well, to boomboxes anymore. But like, you know, if you change that culture, but you know, I mean, that, it extends past hockey. I mean, let's be honest. But, you know, I feel like if they made more of an effort to what you were telling about, like it's not just donating to charities by Bettman. You got to change what's going on in the arenas, what's going on in the locker rooms. I, I think that that's actually a really, really great point that you bring up, Ryan, because like a lot of the times the conversation is, is like, it, like you said, why does this get shoved down our throats? Why does this, why do you need me to know about? And, and I feel like part of what it is, is like, there's a certain unwillingness to learn new facts. You know, it's kind of like what Desmond said earlier about like saying any, if you're saying like, oh, I'm not into politics or, or, you know, keep politics out of something is really, you're, you're saying, please don't make me have the tough conversations. I don't really feel like having in this space. Right. And look, you're allowed to have a space where you ignore the world for a little bit, right? I get that, right? You watch a hockey game so you don't have to think about the world around you, but that has nothing to do with whether that organization owes something to that community, to a different community. And it comes down to like a lot of people just don't want to learn, right? Why do you have to shove the pride logo in my face? Well, do you want to know like what the pride logo is and why it is like that? No, but I'm supposed to understand why you consistently vote for people that seek to disenfranchise me. I have to come down and learn about you. Right. And that's fine. Right. Understanding conversation. There's certainly a conversation to be had about why do people consistently vote conservative? Why do Hispanics constantly vote uh, conservative? Why do certain demographics vote a certain way? Right. Sure. There's conversations to be had, but why does no one, why does that never happen for the other side? It's just, no, 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 keep it. I don't want to learn about it. I don't want to know. Yeah, there there are some people that that you have to cater to, uh, so that they never have to hear about anything, and like that then gets to be like part of our culture inherently gets to always protect people that don't want to acknowledge reality, that don't want to live in reality and and see how other people have to live. Yeah, absolutely, and um, we'll we'll speed by a little bit. 
because then we'll get to the the, the wrestling part, right? We got to stop talking about politics. Here. <laughs> yeah, keep, yeah. Keep... I'm sure. I'm sure this is this is uh, not been wrestling enough. Um, <laughs> well, I will. I will uh, repeat what Brian said uh, last episode, which is, you know, I, we'll have to just ask for forgiveness from the alt right casual fans out there. You know, we'll have to we'll have to find a way to make amends. You know, but. Uh, you know, you spent a lot of time over the past few years helping organize around Filipino American interests and trying to help spread awareness about the Duterte regime in the Philippines, due in part to his history of mass executions of criminals and street children by renegade death squads, which is a real fucking sentence I had to type out for a world leader. Uh, his, his implementation of brutal punitive measures as part of a nationwide anti-drug platform, uh, disdain for basic human rights and countless other atrocities. So. What do you feel average Americans, you know, who don't know the ins and outs of of global geopolitics like this, what do you feel that they can do to support people of the Philippines and Filipino Americans? And, you know, like what would be your hopes to see over the next couple of years between, you know, relations between the two countries? So I I think everybody uh, should go to the website endorse. uh, No, it's uh, humanrightsph.org. Uh, humanrightsph.org is the website for a piece of legislation called the Philippine Human Rights Act. That's something that I would love to see passed uh, right this second, honestly, years ago, uh, because uh, the U.S., so for all of the, and it's uh, it's it's pronounced Duterte, but I, I don't respect yeah, I so. the man. So it's uh, it's it's actually good that 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 you mispronounced. Actually, <laughs> good, good. You were perfect. That was that was allyship. You know that was that was you know. Yeah, there, you go, there you go, Demo. That's that's what it's but, about. It's allyship through ignorance. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but um, basically, so yeah, he he. You know, he's been. Uh, if if you look up, just like Google search Duterte uh, extrajudicial killings and. Uh, it's uh, it's quite a rap sheet. Um, yeah, there they are. He uh, the 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 UN has has investigated and found that uh, there are uh, at least thousands of of extrajudicial killings associated with his drug wars, his people shot um, in the in the streets, uh, and he's also like there have been state licensed guns to civilians on the basis of if you use them on. Uh, drug users it it's okay um and that's that's how he runs he's a he's a strong man uh dictator but you know what's what's troublesome about these thousands of, of deaths and these hundreds of uh, political prisoners that have been taken is that it's funded by uh american taxpayers uh the u.s has been involved in like over two and a half billion to Three billion plus in military aid to the Philippines in the form of missiles, helicopters, guns uh, that have all been used on the Philippine people by their own government. And the Philippine Human Rights Act seeks to end all uh, all all military funding to the Philippines insofar as these uh, atrocities go on, and until those who've perpetrated them are brought to justice. Um. And that is a thing where it's like, look, there's, I'd love for people to uh, learn, and they should, about the history of how the U.S.'s relationship with the Philippines has been a destabilizing force uh, 
in, in its, its quest for sovereignty. I know it's, I know it's rare. I know it's not like we do that in uh, South America. No, no, I've never heard of that before. That's, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I I think one of the greatest examples with American hypocrisy in terms of imperialism is the relationship with the Philippines, because if I'm correct, they were our first, like, you know, uh, situation like that where we overtook something for, you know, uh, (laughs) sphere of influence. There you go. I was trying to think of that word because sphere of influence. Okay. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely, you know, it's been used as that forever, uh, you know, the, the fight for so- like for sovereignty to get, you know, freedom. And then, then you, you get into like neocolonialism and look, there, there's all sorts of stuff that like, I love and, and people should look into the history because that frankly they should, when they hear, huh, why am I hearing about this in America? Like you should think about like, huh, what is America's relationship with this, with this, like this place? And, and I, I'd love for people to do that because it does factor into why there is so much drug use in the Philippines, why there is uh, such a high rate of poverty and there is such, such a big, uh, uh, you know, history of, uh, and culture of, of corruption in the government. Uh, I'd love for people to get into the, the weeds of that, but I think on a very basic level of like, your tax dollars go towards this, go towards these atrocities, which you should find categorically bad. And because it's your tax dollars, like, you're able to leverage your, you know, might with your like federal, uh, you know, representatives. It's something that you can, you can do. And again, all that money, think about all the things that we do need here, like way better healthcare, way better education. We say we don't have the money for those things. Look at what our money gets tied up in, you know, and, and what our focus are. And like, like, so like the money itself, but also the idea of like, how are we a country that continues to prioritize these, these like military agendas that like, I know the Philippines now, like the Philippines and its proximity to China. Well, you know, the U S is going to try to like, you know, get involved and stay involved there for that, for that, you know, proxy war. Um, it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's frustrating. And I, I think it's something that like, so, it's your money. That's what it goes towards. And I think, you know, endorsing the Philippine Human Rights Act is a something that, that would have a lot of weight in what it what it what passing it by itself would do and the theoretically the the help to actual lives of the marginalized there would be great. Um, but also symbolically in doing that, what that says about our values as a country passing um, legislation like that. Um, is something that I'd like to see. Uh, that's definitely something that we'll put up in the details. So make sure to send me a link of that after this, and we'll make sure to put that up. Um, and, and to your point, you know, I, I understand that like you're not going to be able. America does a lot of bad shit, and everybody does a lot of bad shit, right? So I understand that like you cannot follow every single one, like country's involvement, every single geopolitical act, right? But but I think that. Unfortunately, sometimes the best way to talk about it is, you know, the money aspect and the impact. And to your point, just thinking, just even knowing about this one thing might start making you think about, do we do this to other countries? What is the history of why we do this in other countries? And, uh, you know, it makes me think like, because as like a person that works in homeless services and as like an advocate for 
you know, homeless people, a lot of the times that's what my uh, points have to boil down to. Right. Because I can I can tell you all types of facts and figures and statistics about like why this isn't good on an ethical level. Sure. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't really feel like talking about that because ethics is is, you know, we can't delve into those weeds. Right. Everybody's ethics are different. So it ultimately makes me boil to okay you you want to talk about why you should support housing for the homeless here you go this is why because your tax dollars directly contribute to every one of their emergency room trips every single one of their detoxes every single time that somebody gets arrested and spends a night in jail is untold millions of taxpayer dollars that are coming out of your pocket directly to pay for that and if you supported this thing instead you would see uh, a tax increase followed by a substantial tax decrease because those services are not being overutilized. And you would also see death rates go down because people wouldn't be dying of preventable diseases and like wouldn't just be dying on the fucking streets. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the only way to get through to people. Yeah. I, attacking the wallet is pretty much the only way you can get through to people because, you know, I mean, in terms of like identity politics and stuff like that, like as soon as you mention a phrase to someone, it's going to turn them off. But I mean, at the same time, yeah. it's like, it's making what you give into the system work better for you. And, yes. you know, if you it just like, nobody likes high taxes. I don't enjoy the perspective fact that when I purchase a home, I have to pay nearly 10, 10 grand in Nassau County property taxes. Like nobody likes that. But at the same token, I'd feel more appreciative if I felt like, you know, my tax dollars are going back into the community, back into infrastructure of America and different programs. And yeah, you know, I don't enjoy reading about how, you know, the omnibus bill of the COVID uh, bill, which was the budget more and large is what I'm getting to, was going off to overseas to, you know, the the main thing you heard was uh, Pakistani gender studies. But at the same time, no, it's going to fund, you know, billions of dollars to Israel for fucking mis- missiles exact, to blow up Palestinians of Israel, you know. Uh, uh, weapon money for the Philippines. Like, you know, there's, there's different things that we have to delve into that, you know, I think the conversation can come back to, you know, working for the community and talking about healthcare and stuff like that. But it's just so like put on the shelf and just obscured by other things in the way. Like that's just something that we have to work on in the, in the national conversation. No, for sure. Yeah. I, I, and I think, I think it's again, the thinking about it. Cause you'll have, you'll have like, when you have those friends that like, that will be like, well, I guess I'm libertarian because, you know, I'm definitely not a Republican, but I really can't stand the <laughs> Democrats. And then like, then you'll talk to them about things like they'll, they'll talk about how, how hard the inner city is and how hard, like, you know, I just feel so bad for those people. And, and it's like, I'll, and then I'll, I'll ask them like, so would you be okay with an increase in, in your taxes if it meant in, in these investments in these communities and and then it's like, well, look, but why do why do my taxes need to go like why do my like why do my taxes need to go up to have that happen? And it's like, you know, I can make the same fucking argument. You know, I don't feel like having kids, right? Like that's not a thing I want. Maybe I should start making the same fucking argument for why my money shouldn't go to your childcare. Maybe I shouldn't be paying for your maternity leave, right? I'm not having a kid. That's your fucking decision. You, it becomes a real like you can pick and choose that shit so easily. And you said it in your initial answer. It's what do you want your money to go for, right? The issue is not giving foreign aid to countries that need help. It is do you do you actually care about that? 
What about the billions in weaponry being used on their own citizens? What about the weaponry your country you are paying for and how they're using it? What do you feel is a more responsible use of the money that you are going to pay one way or another, whether you want to or not? That's definitely the best way to go about it. Um, But, you know, good news, everyone. That's it. The politics are done. It's all wrestling now. <laughs> politics, politics hour is over. <laughs> politics eliminated. So you mentioned to me before coming on that the Royal Rumble is your favorite time of the year for WWE. And considering the circumstances of the past year and the current WWE product, do you feel as excited as you have in years past? No, no, I, I, I don't. I don't feel as excited in years past um, just because it. You're not going to have the crowd. They'll have the crowd noise, but the crowd noise at the Superdome or whatever the hell they call it. What's what's the what's the what's the word? The Thunderdome. Thunder the Thunderdome. Jesus Christ! What am I watching? What am I doing with my life? That's what I uh, all the time. The uh, the like the the Thunderdome is some of the most like dystopian. Please mm-hmm. perform perform for. perform as like slop being like these performers being thrown out basically as gruel slop for us just like go out my little piggies i honestly gargoyles i i i I take everything i said before back i really i want the empty arena shows back because at least we leaned into the absurdity like that fucking byron saxton bit with stone cold where it was just him going hell yeah and just silence i like that yeah. better than this fucking dystopian hellhole the tvs the tvs control it all i yeah like i have Oof. to like listen to i have to like watch with the audio off a lot of the times just because it, it's better like it's better yeah. if i don't get the weird crowd noise yeah. and i'm like listening to like like uh like listening to an album i want to fucking listen like like listen to dillinger four while watching like the royal rumble would be way mm. better than like the crowd noise that like will will like just tell me this is awesome. Yeah, it will the- tell me that 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 this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> like the button pressing. Yeah, like it's side a sitcom. Of it. It's a fucking sitcom. Here's your laugh track. You will clap now. Enjoy the spot. You know, the Thunderdome is so much more aesthetically pleasing, but at the same time, they're still following the same like direction they would be if they were in the empty arena because like there's noise there, whether it's fake or not. But then you still have everybody coming out being like, hey, Roman, listen, man, like they're speaking like so low. It is like, no, like at least like (laughs) pretend to be that there's people there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I but I, I still am excited just because it it's something like literally this is the 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 time of so very little things to get to be like entertained yeah. by that like it it still is the royal rumble it's still cuz the royal rumble sets a table to mania and like so many so many matches for mania like are determined from the entirety of the royal rumble like yeah the royal rumble match itself usually sparks like you have a winner like you, you have a winner, boom, that's a title match. The 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 runner up usually gets the other like challenges for the other belt. You have feuds that emerge out of beef that starts in the mm-hmm. rumble match itself. Yeah. You have sometimes just like an an old standing feud can come to life 
mm-hmm. in in the rumble and that's how you refresh something because like fuck it now i'm gonna beef with you you fucked up wrestlemania for me so now at wrestlemania i'm gonna kick your ass and we're gonna unpack the like the entirety of our relationship with each other yeah like, like you you get a lot of cool shit so it still like is such a cool fun device um so I, i'm excited i'm excited for that and also i think on some level the weirdness of of this year like with wrestling it, it feels like there are multiple different people that they, they've done a good job of like explicitly kind of building royal rumble um expectation or hype for like several people on each brand while yeah. while not not making it like the only person the most overt person is like daniel bryan he's the one that's like cut like deliberate like i want to win the royal rumble because like he's got yeah. like several promos about that but like so he's one of the favorites probably but like still it feels like if matt riddle won i could see that if keith lee won i could see that if uh if daniel bryan won see that if um there's a couple people on, on smackdown that i could like yeah, I mean they 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 had Shinsuke Nakamura have that gauntlet performance and then turn back face. So like obviously that's old something theme, ce- baby. The old, old theme, theme is finally old theme fucking is back. back. Uh, of course Cesaro on like uh, the biggest singles push he's had in quite literally like five or six years, if not longer. Um, so I think that's a good point. We're gonna talk about that in just a second anyway. But before we pivot back to that, uh. You know, what are your what are your favorite promotions and wrestlers going right now? So since AEW came about, I've enjoyed that more because it is newer and because it is more open to um, just playing with the form like Mm -hmm. and and, and spicing it up. It's crazy that that with as much time as they have for Raw, like they tried Raw Underground, which I didn't watch just because the concept of it was so unappealing to me that i just stupid. didn't care to watch it but so aew i i I've, I've liked the most um i i really love what they've done with uh with hangman adam page like uh i'm a big fan of because like he represents a lot of i think the cool aspects of what AEW can be because it's playing with like the story that they're telling, like the character they're telling has element arc, like elements of a lot of different past figures or archetypes that have never all been kind of all at once. The beer drinker, that's not a beer drinker because he is a badass and having such a great time. It's because he's like super anxious about like, where he fits in and, and and how to be the best version of himself and and but he's still like fights like hell he's not like you know he's not portrayed as a coward either you know i, I like he I, I think there's a lot of like he is kind of a very interesting like mental health style gimmick that like is being done in actually quasi tasteful way for, for wrestling standards a very tasteful way i agree you know? I, i'm so glad you brought him up because uh, what made Stone Cold great was, you know, he was the common man. And the perfect example of the common man in AEW is certainly Hangman Adam Page. Yeah. Uh, Stone Cold's main shtick was like he was the common man against like, you know, going into the cubicle every day and, you know, wanting to punch your boss in the face. 
you know, yeah. Hangman deals a lot of that with those same aspects. You're like, yeah, you know, he's the guy that you have a fucking beer with at the end of the day and he'll always have your back. But, you know, at the same time, he is only human and he deals with these, you know, popular topics of the current era and certainly it it's mental health. So they've definitely done a good representation with him uh, in AEW. Absolutely. I, I And honestly, even going beyond wrestling standards, like, you know, it's I'm not somebody that thinks AEW like never misses and and all of their storylines are great and all of their characters always work. But Hangman, I think, is really well done from like just an acting perspective in general. And I think that's because Adam Page is legitimately one of the best actors in wrestling that I've ever seen. He he portrays the anxiety of like not really ever feeling like you're good enough at what you do, despite actually being good like in a way that I've never really seen. He's a character that I, I can't really say I've ever seen in wrestling. Like you get someone that's not confident. Sure. All the time you get someone self-destructive. Yeah, sure. All the time. I've never seen a character like this where like his mental health, he's not, Ooh, I'm crazy. Cause yeah. I'm depressed. <laughs> and he's not like an alcoholic. And it's like, Oh, haha, He's falling over and, and doing so many silly things. Like he keeps that for being the elite, like on dynamite, He's exactly what you said. He is the everyman of AEW's audience. And it is really refreshing to see because he's not treated like some broken baby bird that doesn't get it. And his friends are fucking assholes. His friends have been assholes to him for years. And there's reasons for this. That's it. That's he's probably my favorite character as well. Right. I I also love how Orange Cassidy, uh, you know, talking about being just checked out on life. Like, man, I, you know, I, I love the the every single time every time that he does the like the tap rev up like shin mm-hmm. tap it's it's the funniest it's like the funniest fucking thing like in wrestling and like that's the type of shit where like when the crowd pops for for an orange cassidy spot like again that's another like it feels very much appropriate for wrestling in its time and on yes. some level it's like you know like it I wonder if it lends itself to the longevity, even though it's only been on you know TV for a year or so. Like things like Orange Cassidy tend to just go on well. They age better than they do in WWE because like they don't get so I don't know. Th- they let it just kind of rock and they play around with it as they as they do it. You know? Yeah, I I agree. That that's exactly what it is. You know, I think AEW could certainly afford to do that, but you know. Just go with it. Like I don't, I don't like everything in AEW, but if it's going to make the crowd pop and it's going to make the aesthetics of the show better, hell fucking yeah, man, go for it and uh, just try it. The idea of trying, right? Like, like because compared to Raw, like I, I'm not gonna, I'm probably it's the go home Raw for Rumble. I'm gonna do what I've done the last like months. I, it's been months since I, I've. It's been at least a month since I've sat through, maybe two months because I was like holidays like around thanksgiving i was like you know what i gotta start making more time for myself and watching raw is three hours of like you know it's torture and it's a shame it's a shame too because smackdown is doing well smackdown's good it is good it it, it, and i I was gonna say like smackdown i do i i definitely think there are times where smackdown has been better than than aew um lately because like the most recent smackdown i thought was great because it had some matches, but it had like the obstacle course spot right. with the uh, Bailey and, and Bianca Belair. Uh, there was a lot, 
Like it had a good mix. You had Sami Zayn doing his, uh, doing his protest, and like yep. other other feuds interacted with Sami. Yeah, like, it's like great as, as they made their way down, and it had aspects of like, oh, this is an Attitude Era that like is not going to like uh, Jerry Springer, like you know, popping type type like uh, Carney shit. Like there still is Carney ish shit, but it's like. Nothing felt, at least off the top of my head, like uh, completely disparaging the way that, like, the Attitude Era, every bit, like, every, like three out of like four segments had some sort of just like bad. fairly yeah. bad, like aged horribly type of like off color remark about someone, like someone's identity or something you know it was like yeah yeah like yeah. jerry the king laura calling goldust a flamer every five seconds yeah jerry jerry does not age well at all i like just watched a rumble that we're going to talk about in a second here it and it was i was just oh oh boy um yeah i mean like it doesn't all hit for me like i i really don't care about the sasha carmella thing but but we got the first legitimate intergender match on WWE in like I don't know how long. My and, man Reginald, and and it was good and like presented well and works within the story. And me and Ryan like did a whole episode about intergender wrestling and like it was cool. Like Impact does a lot of intergender wrestling. It did it hard to kill and like it's presented very well. So I I agree that SmackDown's mostly been pretty good. So to the main segment an hour and uh, 75 minutes into the podcast. Once again, we find ourselves on the highway waiting to take the next exit onto the road to WrestleMania. (laughs) I'd point at the sign if I had it, just pretend I'm, I'm pointing at the sign. Now this road, of course, it begins with what we've been talking about, the most famous gimmick of WWE and perhaps all of wrestling outside of Steel Cage, the Royal Rumble, slated for this Sunday, January 31st. Uh, for an in-depth review of the Rumble's history, you guys listening can refer to our episode last year going over the top rope. We do a whole thing about it. But to briefly recap, the Rumble is the brainchild of the late, great Pat Patterson and has happened every year since 1988 with the winner since 1993 winning a title shot at WrestleMania and with a women's Rumble being added in 2018. Now, this year will, of course, be the first Rumble to ever be in front of no people and hundreds of TVs due to our country's complete and utter failure and unwillingness to have a functioning government that doesn't want its people to die. And so instead... We will be having the Rumble at the Thunderdome. Now, they're like, like we did, we talked about this a little bit, so there's not a ton to discuss yet, because like you said, the take-home show for Raw is happening tonight. The take-home show for SmackDown happening later in the week. So they're like the rest of the card has to be solidified. But we spoke about some of the people that are already, you know, favorites for the men, right? Drew uh Drew Bryan, Daniel Bryan, uh Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro. Keith Lee, there's definitely like a few people I could see legitimately winning. The Fiend. The Fiend, sure, why not give him more wins of things. And then like the women's match, uh, same thing. I could see that going a bunch of different ways. I could see Bailey winning. I could see Charlotte Flair repeating. I could see. Please no. uh, You know, I could see I could see a lot of different angles going. And then like the rest of the card outside of (sighs) Drew McIntyre versus Goldberg. You wanted a return? WWE Championship. The most unwanted returns ever. It's nuts. I, it's really it's really <laughs> meta how he's recognizing it too. 
You know, it's like, well, I have a fucking contract to oblige, so fuck you guys. It's like, no, but it pops the rating. Like, it, it, yeah, it, it does. It's fuck. I can't it deny it. Rating, I can't deny it, man. But it's like, it if you're sucks. gonna have a five second match with the fiend and kill a storyline, then I'm not gonna root for you, bro. Sorry. We we spoke about this last time that it was like, like you can't deny that Goldberg is obviously a draw for people, and so like I understand it. But as a wrestling fan, and like not even as a like hardcore wrestling fan, just like as a person who's watched the last few matches of Goldberg, like this is not something I need to watch. I don't care. I don't care what it sets up. It and there is the legitimate threat that he wins. Like I, it's not just a guarantee that Drew McIntyre wins and goes on to Mania. Like. I don't fucking know that that's going to happen. And I'm telling you, if Goldberg fucking squashes another fucking younger talent for no reason whatsoever, like, what are we doing here? Why? I don't care. They'll be fucking up their month. Like, I don't care. Drew McIntyre is a guy that that could, like, be there for another, like, easy 10 years. Obviously, Hollywood might interject in injuries and whatnot, but like, I think he's got at least like five like yeah. full time years in yeah. him, and he's gonna carry your shit. They if if they put Goldberg over, it's like it shows really like it's get it's gotten it's well past the point that like Vince can't have his hands on this like as much. Yeah, hundred percent. That, that's that, that's been so clear. But if you squash Drew McIntyre f- for Goldberg, there's nothing. There's nothing. Like there there's is. Nothing. I agree. Yeah, it's crazy because like there's nothing left there at that point. Yeah, I mean WWE had two responsibilities to for to carry over modern WCW storylines, and that was Sting, and that was Goldberg. With Goldberg. Him coming out and beating Brock Lesnar the way he did, I popped. It was fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. That was it, well done, though. That was yeah. like a really good moment. Right. But then he went over Kevin Owens. And why? Why exactly. did he do that? And even the second portion of him coming back and trying to get his rematch against Brock Lesnar, again, like, you know, I was fine with it. But then you close the book there. With Sting, it was the same thing. Like, he had an awesome return. And then he got squashed by Triple H. It's just like and, why? And then Seth Rollins killed him. But it's like why are you going to pigeon your why are you going to pigeonhole yourself with Goldberg and just put him in every title match? Like this guy can have awesome single feuds. Like don't attach the belt to it. Like you know what I mean? I don't care if he faces AJ Styles and you want to do that. Like it's not a necessary match yeah, on one sure, WrestleMania. Like Dolph Ziggler. Like, like yeah, fine. That yeah, didn't bother it's two, me. It's two titans going against each other. So yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's like Vince is like no, it's the title prowl. Like I get it, but no. But I don't. But I don't get it. Um, and like nothing else has really been solidified. Like maybe we'll get Alexa Bliss and Asuka tonight. Maybe we'll get Sasha and Carmella again. Like there's a lot of different ways. So honestly, I don't feel like it's super worth discussing other than just us giving our picks for the Rumble. Uh, my personal guess, uh, it'd be great to see Shinsuke win again, but I don't think that's realistic. I don't think it's inconceivable that Cesaro wins, honestly. Like, I, I, it's not so far out of the realm of possibility that I don't think so. But being realistic, I kind of feel like it's either I would like to think maybe they go with Keith Lee or Daniel Bryan is like the most obvious and you just go with Daniel Bryan. So I wanted to ask you guys uh, both this question. Give me the person who you think is going to win. Give me the person you think who's going to last the longest, and then give me your surprise return. I'll let 
our esteemed guest go first. Okay. First question again. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? So the, the, the women's Royal Rumble, I think will be, uh, I think will be Bianca Belair. Um, I hope so. And uh, especially since they just like did a documentary for her or something. So it's like, it feels Bianca like and when they Sasha do that, too? they want to like really pop uh, like the any crowd that has the network to like focus and think about this uh, uh, wrestler. And and for for the men, I think it is either if it's raw, if it's raw, I think it'll be if it's raw, I think it will be Keith Lee, and if it's SmackDown, I think I'm going to speak it into uh, existence just because it's what I'd love to see. Big E. Mm, Um, So last the longest for the for the uh, women, maybe uh, maybe Alexa Bliss if 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 she's in it, Um, and. for the men, for the men, maybe maybe that's what that's what you have Cesaro get. That Cesaro less like Cesaro or or uh, Finn Balor because I, I feel like having it be Finn Balor, uh, especially if they need to get NXT off of if it's not going to be able to be a live show anymore, they're probably going to want to build Finn Balor up for like main roster like audiences again um and what was the third question surprise Uh, surprise return Hmm. for for the women i i i think it'll i think it might be becky lynch oh nice Nice. i i i I, I, it might be super early but i i i could see that uh and for the men surprise return Again, I, I'm I'm uh, almost certain this just couldn't be, but I just want to speak it into existence. Uh, his name is John Cena. Ah. I like that. I like that. I like that Cena, too. This would be a good time for Cena. Um, so for me, I would love, I would love Bianca Belair to win. Uh, we are huge Bianca Belair stands, and I have thought for many years since her time in NXT that she is pound for pound one of the best wrestlers on the roster, point blank. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I trust him to pull the trigger, so I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that Charlotte Flair repeats. Uh, it just feels like what they're going to do. Uh, I'm going to say Bianca Belair lasts the longest and surprise return. Michelle McCool. Uh, Very good for the men. I think realistically I could see either Daniel Bryan or I, I'm going to say like Daniel Bryan probably makes the most sense. I know like it's the most obvious choice, but um. Daniel Bryan winning and then like challenging Roman is just like, that's, there's so much 
good stuff there, especially with Roman's current character. Who's going to last the longest? I feel like Cesaro is a really good bet for that because his whole thing is like stamina. So that feels like he'll come in early and last a really long time. I also think it's possible Keith Lee has like a really big showing because last year he wasn't in it for that long. Uh, And then surprise entrant. If you're going to say Becky, I'm going to say Seth uh, because I really could like Seth Rollins and Roman, like both as heels. I'd love to see that, but I don't know if they'd do that. But expecting that Becky and Seth probably will not be there. I'm going to say that the surprise entrant spits in the face of people that are uncool. Wow. You finally get, you finally get Carlito. That you finally get Carlito. That's what I think is going to happen. And what about you, Ryback? (laughs) Ooh, wow. That's uh, not a good term. Not a good term these days. (laughs) That's a shoot. Well, I I don't expect much from bell. Damien, what? you can't, you can't do that. What the- <laughs> Get out of here. Damien taking naps in between podcasts, you know. Uh, so for the women, uh, my winner is going to be Bailey. Uh, I don't know what they're ultimately going to set up on SmackDown, but I, I imagine that like Bailey versus Sasha, whether or not you add somebody else to that to make it a triple threat at WrestleMania, I think that like Sasha deserves. Yeah. Um, a headlining match because she hasn't gotten one yet. They both Agreed. do, honestly, because like the the aging on the Bailey versus Sasha matches back from the first takeover is just astounding. Yeah. Uh, the individual I think is going to last the longest is Bianca Belair. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's high time for her to finally start being the worker of the women's roster. Kind of take that kind of take that torch from Becky. Uh, whenever she comes back. But I think, you know, if you want to establish somebody as the working woman of the roster, uh, Bianca Belair, certainly that person. Uh, my surprise return is going to be Ronda Rousey. I am waiting for Rowdy Ronda yeah. to come back. You know, she's coming back. She, I think there were some genuine feelings with her giving her gripes of her experience. Uh, I think that was her dealing with her her placement in sports pop culture post her dominant run in MMA. Uh, I think that eclipses some things with her, but at the same time, I feel like she was just like complaining about things that wrestling fans were just like, you didn't fucking get it. You didn't get it. Like, you know what I mean? She also and, fucking injured like Alexa bliss. Yeah. Really I mean, like, like, you know, I mean, fucked her up for a long time. Like it, it took Alexa bliss. Like, like, I feel like she ha- like, Really, until kind of this recent run, she had kind of been injury prone, seemingly. Like, like you, you, you never got more than like two or yeah. three months at a time of her because she was dealing with some nagging injury, and like it seemed like it all started with like Rhonda. Indeed, and you know, if I'm being worked, hats off to her. But like her main complaint was like, "I'm Ronda Rousey. Like I'm supposed to be face. You guys are gonna boo me? Like it's the old Kurt Angle adage, and like hopefully that's yeah. the case, but." I definitely expect her back. Uh, whether or not it will be Sunday is another story, but I think you know that could be a definite surprise return. And for the men's, if we're going to go raw, I'm going to say AJ Styles mm. because he doesn't have that on his resume, and I think like you know things are slowing down for him. So a main event at WrestleMania is certainly something deserving of him. Uh, the work rate that he's put in uh, for the last couple of years with WWE. Uh, with SmackDown, same aspect. I'm going to go Daniel Bryan 
uh, with the wild card being Nakamura, and that's deciding whether or not they want to go the Roman Nakamura mount route. Uh, I think that'd be really awesome. But I think it's going to be Daniel Bryan because of the same aspects of AJ, his illustrious career does not have the Royal Rumble on it. And uh, there have been stories of him trying to slow down after this to be a father and work part-time. So I think this would be a proper send-off for him. Uh, presumably in a match with uh, Roman in the main event. So for my surprise yeah. return, uh, Damien took it. I think it's going to be me. Carlito, just because he was advertised for the, the Raw Legends night, quote-unquote. Yeah. But he didn't show. So if they're saving that, I think that's like... One of the last like great surprise returns we can get, yeah. With w- what we have to work with, so I think that'd be really cool. Part of the pie. I agree. I agree. So, but if last... I'm gonna if I'm gonna be ridiculous about it, why not CM Punk? Ah, uh... yeah. Why not? Why not? Let's let's get some CM Punk chants piped in. <laughs> um. So the last things that I wanted to talk about tonight, um, and I'll be a little expedient. Uh, is, is, you know, cause like you said, there's not really that much to talk about for this year yet. You know, it's the rumble, but it's long been a launching pad for young guns looking to establish themselves. Veterans looking for one last ride and superstars looking to cement their legacy as some of the greatest ever. And, you know, like Desmond says, this says this se- often sets up a lot of feuds for mania within the match itself. Right. And, you know, Names like Shawn Michaels, Brock Lesnar, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Those are just like a a few of the most famous winners of the match. But, you know, the Rumble has rarely been where the type of match where someone comes completely out of nowhere to win, you know. But that's not to say there haven't been some surprises as well as some like truly zany entrants. And there are two specifically that I wanted to talk about. Okay, so the first one, you have to go back to 1993 and I'm talking about Yokozuna, right? Now, he wins the 93 Rumble, and that's not really something that fans could have expected even a year prior. Now, Yokozuna, for those that don't know, is the son of Afa and Sika, a.k.a. the Wild Samoans, right, of the legendary Anoa'i family. And uh, Yokozuna is one of the first cousins of Roman Reigns, The Rock, Rikishi, Umaga. He's blood first cousin to Roman. Uh, But he didn't start wrestling in WWF until 1992, Prior to that, he was just like training with his family, honing his craft in Japan and Mexico, had a cup of coffee in JCP, worked AWA a little bit. Uh, Once he came into WWF, he initially came out as Kokina in September of 1992, uh, only to immediately switch like a month later when they paired him with Mr. Fuji, uh, which I wonder if that's a gimmick that I would want in today's world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You see a lot of that. Um, So... Yokozuna, for those that don't know, that is the highest position you can attain attain in sumo. Like Yokozuna is the top sumo wrestler in the world. Uh, And so his whole gimmick, obviously, is he's like a legendary Samoan sumo wrestler who wrestles for Japan and has never been put on his ass. Uh, And this remained true in like the early going of his career. He starts running roughshod. Did you know he was on the first ever Monday Night Raw happened in 1992? I think I watched it recently. See, yes, yes, I because I, I, I watched it on the network like uh, this past weekend. He uh, he he fought the legendary Coco Beware, yeah. uh, <laughs> and the first person to put him on his ass was actually Jim Duggan himself uh, in February, and you know gave him his first proper feud. 
So like he was popular, but he only had like maybe four months worth of build. But then he enters into the 93 Rumble and he wins it like and he was a favorite going in. But that was like this dude came out of nowhere from four fucking years ago. And this is this is before anyone out of the Anoa family, aside from like the Samoans and Peter Maivea and Rocky Johnson are around. So it's not like a worldwide known family yet. So he comes into the 93 Rumble. He wins. And then he defeats Bret Hart at WrestleMania 9. Uh, Bret Hart's got him in the sharpshooter. And then Mr. Fuji throws salt in in Bret Hart's eyes. And then Yokozuna wins. And uh, does anybody know what happens after Yokozuna wins? I do. Ryan does. Of course, Ryan does. What about you, Desmond? Do you know what happens when Yokozuna beats Bret Hart in WrestleMania 9? Oh, d- doesn't Hulk Hogan then come out and, and <laughs> fucking end up holding, uh, like beating him, challenging him on the spot to match, winning, and then... That is exactly what happens. Go get him, Hulk. A real, a real American comes out yeah. and challenges you, brother. And Mr. Fuji is like, yes, we're going to do that right now. Does everybody know how long the match lasted? It was 22 like, seconds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 22 seconds because Mr. Fuji tries to throw salt in Hulk Hogan's eyes and it misses and he gets Yokozuna. And then Hulk Hogan becomes champion right after i want to say that that might be the shortest title reign in the history of wwf or wwe like i can't think of and it's like his title reign was like 20 minutes long maybe if that no, no well the shortest one i think was the uh the roman reigns remember when sheamus beat roman reigns uh like he cashed in money in the bank or he he chat like do you remember that at all sheamus beating roman reigns and like in like roman won the belt in some match then Sheamus cashed in Money in the Bank right and after, like, and Reigns is like so. So the Reigns reign was like four minutes and thirty five seconds. Oh, or something. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, and like Sheamus like wore like a shirt. It's like Sheamus uh, five thirteen or something. Like yeah. what? Like <laughs> that's great. Um, okay, so then this must be like the I just whooped your arse. <laughs> so so but he does beat hogan afterwards at king of the ring after he has a japanese reporter plant blow fire into hulk hogan's face <laughs> Ooh, there's a lot going on here <laughs> and then he gets an actual reign and you know what's funny is that's the last time you see hogan in wwf for nine years because then he leaves for wcw and like does that's right the superpowers and and the you know, the whole feud would like to end Hulkamania and then NWO. So Yokozuna started going around saying that like he ended Hulkamania. Amazing. Uh, and then Amazing. he holds the belt for like 280 days and then he drops it to Bret Hart. And then he would like win the tag championship a couple times with Owen. And then he left in 98 because he was like 600 pounds. And then he died two years later built like at an actual 583. Um, So like, that's something that like when I was looking through Rumble winners, I was like, whoa, Yokozuna won. But then I was like, oh, well, maybe he had just been around for a while. Nope. nope. Four months, four months worth of build. Uh, his Rumble also has two people that I think are interesting. Uh, he's got Papa Shango, uh, which, again, Another gim- one. G- gimmicks, gimmicks that maybe we we don't need to do <laughs> anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, of course, Godfather. Uh, and then here's an interesting one. Uh, Genichiro Tenryu. Ryan, did you know that Genichiro Tenryu was in Rumble matches? I did not. Wow. Holy shit. 
And Ryan, do you, uh, not Ryan, uh, Desmond, do you know who Genichiro Tenryu is? No. He is one of the most legendary uh, Japanese wrestlers of all time. He was the ace of all Japan pro wrestling, which was the kind of like sister but rival promotion to New Japan. Um, yeah. When Riki Dozan created all, you know, uh, that was Giant Baba's promotion versus Inoki's New Japan. And uh, he left in 1990, I believe, to start his own promotion. He was like the ace. And that's what allowed uh, the four pillars of heaven, Mitsuharu Misawa, Kenta Kobashi, Akira Tawe, and Toshiaki Kawada to like become the big dudes in, in AGPW. But he like created a, a promotion called the Super World of Sports and they partnered with WWF. So he was actually in two rumbles, 93 and 94. Okay. Uh, he was eliminated by Undertaker. So that's just like an interesting little tidbit that like I was very surprised to learn. Uh, so historic, historic. Now, this next and last one is probably going to be a lot more well-known than this one. And that's, of course, the Royal Rumble of 1999. 1999, right, is, of course, January 4th, 1999 is the day that the Monday Night Wars ended. That was the finger poke of doom with uh, Hulk Hogan going over Kevin Nash after their years long blood feud results in Kevin Nash rejoining the NWO. And, of course, the famous Mankind going over Rock and Tony Schiavone helping uh, end the Monday Night Wars for WWF. But so 99 Right. So this is 20 days later, you would see Stone Cold enter the Rumble looking for his third straight victory, which no one has ever done. Right. Shawn Michaels won the two years prior. Then Stone Cold wins two years. So he's looking for his third. And uh, he enters number one. And number two is a certain Vincent Kennedy McMahon in his first ever Rumble. And you're thinking, whoa, Vince, Vince in a Rumble. That's right. Uh, this was the latest chapter in the blood feud between Vince and Stone Cold that really started like a year and change back when Stone Cold first won the belt or when he won the belt for the second time. So this is January. So, so Ryan, do you know what famous faction was created three months prior? The corporation? That's correct. The corporation designed to try and go against Stone Cold, Degeneration X, the Ministry of Darkness. Uh, so Stone Cold and, and Vince enter one and two and Stone Cold just starts whooping that ass. But he refuses to throw Vince over because he's like, nah, I'm going to beat your ass. Austin 316. Uh, and eventually he like chases him to the back and then he gets attacked in a bathroom. Uh, so this is the rumble <laughs> that I watched today. And this one's like a bit of a clusterfuck, if I'm being honest, because like you he gets knocked out in the bathroom. So there's like no one in the ring for like two minutes. And then uh, Ministry of Darkness shows up and starts beating up Mabel and then Undertaker shows up, but actually isn't in the rumble. Uh, That's right. Gilberg fucking comes out. Gilbert. The blue meanies in it. Kane comes out, eliminates like two people and then gets, ch and then orderlies show up like a bunch of dudes in white coats trying to get him back into the mental institution he broke out of. And then he <laughs> eliminates himself to chase them into the back. This is like 10, yeah. 20 minutes in. It's, yeah. it's chaos. Imagine, it the, chaos. imagine the internet community reacting to that. Like Twitter. It, Attitude Twitter. era Twitter would have been. Vince doesn't know how to oof. book Kane. He, he's killing. He's, they're burying Kane. <laughs> and this was, uh, it's Michael Cole. And like Michael Cole's pretty fucking good on commentary, honestly. But it's him and Jerry the King Lawler. And uh, well, 
you know who shows up in this rumble is gold dust and and wouldn't you know it doesn't he doesn't he just make some stunning remarks yeah uh super young mark henry is in that as sexual chocolate china is a notable one first ever woman to enter a rumble uh she eliminates uh mark henry and immediately gets eliminated by Stone Cold. Anyway, uh, Stone Cold like defeats all of the other challengers, and then he beats up Vince a whole bunch again. And like Vince is just sitting in commentary. Uh, and then The Rock shows up, and then Vince McMahon uses that distraction and throws Stone Cold over the top rope, and Vince McMahon wins a Royal Rumble. That's right. Vince McMahon wins the oh, 1999 Royal Rumble. That's right. Definitely one of the worst Rumble winners, but I guess that they had to give Vince a vehicle to like actually make him formidable against Stone Cold. They had to do that. So like it's I will give it this. It was chaotic, but like what happens next kind of like worked for me because like he wins, but then he comes out the next night and he's like, well, of course, obviously, I'm not going to headline WrestleMania. That'd be crazy. Right. So I'm going to just give up my spot. But he thinks he's allowed to pick who goes into that top spot against the rock. And then they inform him that because he drops out, the runner up gets the title match, which is stone cold. And that sets up a steel cage match between them where then like big show comes out and debuts. Uh, and, yes. Yeah. And then Valentine's day massacre. And then he eliminates, he throws stone cold out of the steel cage, but that makes stone cold win the steel cage match. And then that's when Austin and rock, I guess three is that two or three happens at WrestleMania 15. Or no, 15. So that's even before the 17 match. That's the so that first might be one. the first time. Yeah. Uh, and then he he goes over and wins like his third belt. Um, uh, what a it's, it's interesting. You would think there were more like weird winners like that of the Rumble, but the Rumble is really like maybe the most protected match that they have. Like there are almost no non-superstars that win that match. Um, but sure. like Vince McMahon and then it was a clusterfuck. I recommend everybody watch it. I'm going to try and find it on the internet. Man, I can't. I, I, I hope. I, I, I liked how last year Mac, Drew McIntyre winning. Like it really, it it was nice because it 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 was one of those like I, I they have such a stuffed and loaded mid to upper mid card that like there are there are people that are like that there are so many people that are good enough that like please, just for the sake of bringing more people into the main event bracket, please make somebody new, you know? And uh, I hope I hope that's what happens, just because, like, that's what's exciting when a Drew wins, when a, at the time, Shinsuke Nakamura wins. Oh, like, man. The idea Me- of, like... Go ahead. No, no, the idea of just, like, that, that feeling of, like, cool, they're actually doing it with this guy, you know? is nice even though in 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 nakamura's case it didn't pan out it should have but uh it 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 pisses me off but but yeah i i like the feeling after last rumble you know where like oh wow they drew one fuck yeah like that was such a fun like win to get to appreciate you know i i was watching that rumble live with ryan and was so fucking excited. It was Asuka and Shinsuke. And the, and like I remember your whole fucking basement was going crazy. Because like it was wild. And, and exactly like you said. They were like oh my god. Like they're doing it. And then they both fucking lost. They yeah. ended the streak for Asuka against Charlotte Flair. And had her go you were ready for Asuka. And Ugh. then Shinsuke Nakamura fucking just 
fucking haymakers AJ Styles in the dick, and then we just did that for six months. Can you? I I can't think of any. Very disappointing. Yeah, the last point I want to make about the Rumble is just like old fans, new fans, like it brings people together. And like, you know, me and Damien always say, you don't have to, you don't have to love wrestling to love the Royal Rumble. And I think the two things that excite us the most are the people who are going to return and who we think is going to win. And yeah, yeah Royal Rumble is very protective and it usually just serves as the the title storyline for WrestleMania, which is already established even before the rumble begins, but you can afford to, you know, what's the one th- you mentioned it, Desmond, what's the one thing we want to see new stars build up new guys. Mm-hmm. Why not use this to give to biggie? And yeah, they did it. They did it a couple of years ago with Nakamura and that was more so on him being in like the sunset of his career. But at the same time, like, dude, just build these guys up because we don't want to depend on Goldberg coming in. Like, you know what I mean? We want to give these guys a chance and make them, there's no reason why Biggie shouldn't be a Twitter superstar right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he is to some degree, but I mean, like, he can like break the glass ceiling of WWE and get into pop culture, and that's what WWE needs to do again. You know? Yeah. Try, try to find ways to build your current crop of wrestlers that are not like 50 years old uh, into people that uh, can draw three plus like ratings or whatever the hell that that like that number that like Vince is so obsessed with whenever Goldberg, you know, <laughs> comes around, like, no, build that. So that way you have that, but not just with this, like you can get more of that all the time. If you don't keep relying on this guy. If you say the fucking word Goldberg one more time, I'm going to fucking blow my brains out on this goddamn no. podcast. <laughs> I, I, I don't fucking. Anyway, the Royal Rumble is Sunday. Don't, watch the Goldberg match. Just assume Drew McIntyre wins. Uh, yes. More will happen tonight. And, and But, you know, it's the Rumble. And like you said earlier, even though like it's not as exciting as it normally is, like if there's one match that I kind of feel like most of the time hits more often than it misses, or at least is entertaining, it's the Rumble. So, like, let's hope. You know what? I'm going to change my surprise entrant. My surprise entrant is Jay White. Turns out WWE signed him. Oh Jay God. White shows up. Wow. Jeez. We can only pray. Uh, let's hope not though. So as we wrap up this hard hitting behemoth of a podcast, we have two quick sections that we typically end here. It's known as the legend killer in which Ryan texts me a picture of an old wrestler gimmick. Uh, and I have to try and figure out who it is because I'm face blind. So Ryan, do you have one queued up for us today that you can send to both of us? Sure, should I send it through the chat? Uh, yeah, send it through the chat. As I pull Ooh. this up, why don't you diverge into our other closing segment of the week? Our other closing segment is, very simply, what have you been listening to? We just kind of talk about what we've been listening to. So, Desmond, you are the guest. What have you been listening to? I'm pulling up Spotify now. I know I've been listening to a lot of uh, Dillinger 4, Civil War. Mm. Uh I love that album. What else have I been listening to lately? Uh, I feel like that's an album that I go back to a lot. And every time I do, I'm like, fuck, this is so good. uh, I've been listening to a bit of Jackson Brown uh, lately. Running uh, on empty. Such a beast. And and actually that the uh, four year strong uh, album from last year, Brain Pain. 
I just kind of discovered recently. It's very, very good. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think the best thing they did since their first album. Um, I haven't listened to that in a while. I know that in general, it was that same. Yeah. That, that was kind of my experience, but, but yeah, so that, that's, uh, that's what I've been listening to lately. I'm actually an enemy of the world guy myself. I like that more than get, uh, what is it? Uh, rise or die trying rise or die trying yeah i'm an enemy of the world guy myself although i really like that self-titled they did where they like kind of did foo fighter shit uh i i i haven't revisited it so maybe with like new ears and like it me not needing it to be something maybe i'll appreciate it differently oh and and the starting line because the starting line's live streams have just been like fucking killer so i've been listening to a lot of the starting line lately okay great and ryan what about you I finally got around to listen to the new Carcass EP. Uh, oh, Carcass put out, out a new EP? Carcass did pull out a new EP. It came out oh. the day before Halloween last year. Uh, it is titled Despicable. And Love it's it. a perfect four-song EP. Hits you right in the face. Uh, Bill Steer and Jeff Walker have been just titans of the melodic death metal community for all these years and the two mythological bands uh back in the day that were to reform uh the cm punk and the uh bret hart returns if you will were carcass and at the gates and ever since they both reformed and started playing live shows again and started making new material every single release that they have done has been an absolute banger uh so if you love carcass if you love just straight up melodic death metal go check it out uh speaking about the gates they also have a release set for this year as well so oh yeah they put out a single didn't they yeah so definitely uh check both those out and look out for the new at the gates album i did really like surgical steel by carcass uh, that that was a really great album boy we're really shoehorning the wrestling shit today aren't we it we we're, it's it's like the the Brett Michaels comeback of it. We both know it's not, but at this point, we feel like we have to fucking put it in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, I have been listening to just so much black metal, just like a really ungodly amount of black metal, which is super problematic because like almost all of them are Nazis. Like so many of the heavy hitting black metal bands are fucking Nazis. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. And I have to wrestle with myself, whether I feel that any of that music is good enough to justify the listening of literal Nazis. And usually the answer is no, go find a band that isn't a Nazi. That's doing that also. Um, yeah. And even the ones that aren't Nazis, I was like, oh, I love Dissection. He's not a Nazi. Yeah, but he like killed a, a a gay guy for being gay in what was also probably a Nazi thing. So can't fucking win. So uh, a couple of non-white uh, supremacist black metal bands that I've been listening to lately that were actually good. Uh, Emperor. No, no white nationalism as far as I've been uh, made aware uh, their album, their album Anthems to the Welkin at Dusk is probably like the greatest black metal album ever released. If you're into like high production black metal, which is, uh, you know, hypocrisy, it's a paradox, but whatever. Great album. Uh, I've also been listening to a fair bit of Immortal at the Hearts of Winter. They have like some of the worst album titles I've ever fucking seen and some of the 
I'm going to send you some of this album artwork. It's, it's really, it's, it's bad. It's, it's really bad. Uh, and Timmy Borger, Death Cult Armageddon. I listened to a lot of that lately. Uh, just some good old symphonic black metal. Uh, is any of this hitting for you, Desmond? You, 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 you taking down the notes? I, oh yeah, yeah. I, I was, uh, yeah, yeah. I, those are all my favorites actually. You, That's you, what I thought. No, I because because if there's one thing that social justice activists love, it's it's white nationalist metal. That's like yeah, a thing. Yeah. Of course, it's it, it's always on the you know it's it's always on the uh, the playlist. Okay, so Ryan has sent the picture. Okay, we click it. So, the man to the right of this image is Samu, and. He was a tag team member of the individual on the left. Your only clue of the evening is that he was spoken of tonight. Is it a member of the Anoa'i family? Mm-hmm. Did I only mention him like once? Yes. Desmond, do you know who this is? Mm, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm too scared. I, I, I don't. You're too scared because you're going to say the wrong person and it's going to be like kind of you're, racist that that's who you yeah, guessed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I no, want to defer no, that to the, the thinking, white man. In yeah, this you're thinking too hard about it. You're thinking too hard about it. No, I mean, the, that's... You don't have to question your more, right? window on it. The best way to be an ally is to take it on yourself. I will, I will say the ignorant thing. Uh, I, well, I'm going to guess... Is this the 80s or 90s? Uh, early, no. er, early 90s. Is it Umaga? Close. Early 90s. Who was the iteration mm. of Umaga in the 90s? Uh, who was the 90s version of Umaga? Was it one of the wild Samoans? No, they, this is... No, nobody looked like that. No, early he was 90s. talked about tonight. Well, I know. I'm just... I'm trying to think of the people I spoke of. Rikishi? That's not- Yokozuna. That's not. That's Yokozuna. That's Yokozuna. That is him as the Kokina. The great Kokina. This is fascinating because A, I feel like I've never seen Yokozuna with long hair or like that much facial hair. And also he's like a a regular size. Yeah, he's a regular regular size big boy. Yeah. I I was trying to think of it uh, like him presenting in a non like sumo wrestler way. And I remember I. He was part of that tag team, so I thought it'd be a good, uh, a good was addition that, to you guys. Was that the Samoans, the tag team? Yeah, they were like, like you know how they have like the new like Midnight Express and like the new Rock and. That's rollers. what like, this was, right? Those those are like the quote unquote new Samoans, because they like signed two of them at the same time as Yokozuna. Yeah, um, yeah, but I I think they're so unimportant they don't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> so you take that. Um, all right, that's a good one. Um, and Desmond didn't know it either, so we get to share in this failure together, which always makes me feel great. Feels good. Feels really um, good. Well, this has been a an podcast. Episode. This has been oh, yeah. an episode. Um, I mean, well, I, I got to tell you, though, I, I really appreciate... Uh, I don't know if all listeners will. I suppose... We'll just have to see what the market decides. But um, I appreciate 
getting to talk about some stuff that is not strictly wrestling related because at the end of the day, uh, wrestling is stupid and unimportant and uh, wildly inappropriate like 95% of the time. <laughs> and things that aren't stupid and inappropriate is giving a shit about literally anything else. So yeah. <laughs> um, I really, really appreciate you coming on and giving such, you know, in-depth, really thought out answers. Um, you were an absolutely lovely guest to have. This was awesome. Uh, th- thank you for letting me talk about everything and anything, as was clearly uh, shown in these two hours. Yes. <laughs> welcome um, back anytime, bud. Absolutely. Definitely welcome back anytime. Um, you know, so ma- we'll put this into details as well, but make sure to check out Desmond on Career Day's new EP. Um, it, it's, it's on Bandcamp. It's on Spy. It's on all the platforms, right? Yep. Yep. Um, Make sure to check that out if you're a fan of anything that sounds even remotely like 90s emo. Really, really strong cuts on there. I really appreciated the difference in sound from uh, the first demo to the second EP, or the first EP to the Thank second you. EP. However you guys are qualifying it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just really nice to see you, uh, you know, back behind a microphone. And uh, we'll put up some links for, you know, some organizations that Desmond thinks would be good to check out and support. Uh you know, make sure to do some research, check out the Human Rights Act for the Philippines that he mentioned earlier that we're trying to get passed through Congress. And uh, Desmond, is there anything else you would like to push? Uh, I guess the uh, so, yes, for any listeners in New York, uh, the New York Health Act uh, is, is seeking that would be state based single payer health care in New York. So in the fight for Medicare for all, if we can get single payer on a state level in New York, that would be huge, uh, both for us and the country. Uh, and the Justice Roadmap, uh, which is a series of criminal justice uh, bills that are also being uh, put at, at the state level. Um, but yeah, those are, are uh, I guess, the efforts that I wanted to push. Um, I, I have some writing that should be coming out uh, in the near future. Um, I have the Through the Island podcast. If you want uh, unprofessional uh, Islanders and hockey culture uh, conversation, um, and uh, that's that's what I've got got going on. This might not be the only wrestling uh, podcasting you hear me a part of in the near future. Um, I'll leave it at that. You know, you got to leave, leave some crumbs, you know, for the vignette. This asshole's really about to go fucking go start another promotion. That's what he's, he's about start, to do. He's about to go fucking leave and start another are promotion. You, are you spelling out WCW with your fingers as you speak? That's what he's fucking doing. He's spelling out WCW. <laughs> all good. We are, we're all supportive of our brothers in arms in the, in the podcasting community. No, we're not. <laughs> Don't fucking lie. <laughs> Fuck that. Don't good fucking shit. compete with us. We get 20 listeners a week. Don't take that from us. <laughs> No, no, um, it's it's fine. You 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 let us know. Uh, we'll have all of Desmond's links, and uh, you know, make sure to check out his Tumblr when dogs dream as well that he hasn't <laughs> updated in a year. All right, so for Desmond, for Ryan, and for myself, this has been the most electrifying, must listen to podcast in sports entertainment. This has been F F C.